Welcome to the new episode of In Love with the Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. Uh, how are you? What's going on? What's new with you guys? Uh, it is July here, uh, and I have been working hard, cranking out a bunch of new episodes. Uh, I'm making a push to uh, get this show out more frequently and uh, try to make every episode that much more entertaining than the last so that you guys stick around. Um, I'm also trying to get the word out some more, guys. So please, if you like this show, post some stuff for me online. Post on your social media accounts. You know, uh, take one of my graphics, your favorite episode graphic, throw it up there and tell people why you love the show. Uh, Direct them to uh, my Instagram account. Direct them to uh, In Love With The Process pod on Instagram as well. Um, I just... I know people, every, every day someone new listens to the show and they say how much they love it and they, they're just astounded that they couldn't, they didn't know it existed. So if you guys uh, will tell folks, that will help me out immensely and then I will continue making these things for you. Um, so also, like I was saying before, follow us on uh, Instagram, go to In Love With The Process Pod. Uh, there you will find stuff that I post that inspires me or that really gets me excited. Uh, I will post like behind the scenes for movies, for scenes, for stuff that I've always wanted to know how they did, or I'll repost uh, photography from amazing photographers. Um, and uh, I also will put up uh, just inspiring pictures. That's the whole purpose of Instagram to me is to become inspired. Um, and hey, speaking of which, did you guys catch that really amazing Hershey S'more video that I posted last week? If not, I'm sure you've seen it online. Like I've seen it po- I've seen it running on Facebook. I've seen it all over the place. It's this super sexy slow motion shot of two graham crackers twisting down on a toasted marshmallow and just smashing into like this melted chocolate bar. And it's amazing to watch and no it's not 3d even though you look at it and you go that's gotta fucking be 3d like how the hell did they spin the grand crackers like how how did they do it it was all shot in camera using robots and some really crazy custom built tech that's the cool thing about instagram is that you can find these really amazing things and how often do you guys think about where this shit comes from i know i find myself getting into that trance where i'm just scrolling up and scrolling up and it's this endless amount of photographs that maybe i'll double tap on maybe i'll give it a like but it really doesn't register and this is one of those pieces that i had to stop and go who is this person and i went further than just looking at their instagram account i actually dug into their website dug into where he comes from and what he does. Um, and that's what this show's all about. Uh, joining me today is the mad scientist who pulls off everything in camera and does amazing things uh, with food and product photography. Like, I'm not joking, guys. Literally jaw-dropping special effects that are done practically. Uh, so, do yourself a favor. Right now, pause this episode and go to stevegeralt.com. I'll put the link underneath the episode. Go check it out right now. See, I told you, his shit's fucking really cool. And somehow I convinced him to be on the show today. So you're welcome. Let's dig in deep. Let's figure out how he makes his stuff. Let's figure out how he survives as a freelancer, because that's important. Um, so... You know the deal. Find your noise-canceling headphones. Find a comfortable place. Maybe you're riding on the bus to work. 
Maybe you're one of those socially awkward people that throws on noise-canceling headphones and doesn't notice other people on the sidewalk and just plows through everybody and crosses the street without looking. Okay, power to you as long as you're listening to the show. Okay, I can live with that. Uh, Throw them on. Get ready. New episode starts now. So, uh, hey, Steve, thanks for joining me on the show. Uh, Hey, Mike. My pleasure. (laughs) It's uh, cool to meet you uh, over the internet. It's a small world out there, you know? (laughs) It is, man. It totally is. And um, I was just saying this in the intro of the show that uh, I came across your work uh, through Instagram. I saw that super sexy uh, s'mores, that Hershey s'mores clip that you made, dude. Thanks, man. That was a super fun one. Um, and, uh, you know, Instagram has really kind of become my, my, you know, such a driving force for me in where I get work and where I put effort in getting work. And um, it's actually amazing to be able to connect to people just like you around the world um, that, you know, we, you know, search by hashtag and, you know, you find people that do the same thing or are interested in the same thing. And, you know, it kind of opens the door to some cool collaborations and stuff, too. Yeah, hell yeah, man. I absolutely love it. And I've completely embraced it uh, for the past few years. And it always blows my mind the people that I'm able to reach out to and collaborate with. Um, so, you know, for all the the negative effects of being on social media all the time, there is a pretty strong, solid one, too. <laughs> There's a positive in there. There's, you know, positive time on the internet, not just negative time. <laughs> Unless you ask my girlfriend who gives me shit for being on my phone all the time, then yeah, it's all negative time at that point. <laughs> I'll, give you my, I'll give you my wife's number. They could chat. <laughs> uh, all right. So um, I guess, so you, t- it's really difficult to describe exactly what it is that you market yourself as. I mean, it's a photographer, cinematographer. I was reading that you are like a woodworker and a welder. And it seems like you wrap it all up into this visual engineer title. Can you explain to us what that is? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was having a hard time describing it to people myself. Um, hence the, uh, the, the, you know, bringing the visual engineer title into it. And, and, you know, at first I thought people were like thinking I was a jerk being like, Oh, he can't just call himself a photographer or cinematographer. He's got to call himself a visual engineer. But at the end of the day, it's really, uh, people have actually embraced it, uh, which is fun seeing it on call sheets and stuff like that on jobs. Um, and for me, it's just been great because it actually, it really describes what I do. It's, it's bringing, um, it's like a new form of image making. I'm not just a photographer. I'm not just a cinematographer. I'm not just a rigger that's making rigs for shooting. You know, I'm kind of wrapped it all together. Director, photographer, cinematographer, um, rigger, uh, special effects person, whatever, kind of all, uh, kind of combined together. And in with that new technologies and robots and, um, steppers and all sorts of fun things um, that all kind of married together to kind of create images um, or visuals, as you call it, for you know mostly clients. Um, and it's really fun. I mean, and it's really grown past just like, oh, that's what he does, and he does these things, and he builds the things. But it's it's really grown past into actually how I tell stories, and that I, I found that I'm you know I tend to you know. Bring, somebody brings a concept to me and I'll like, I'll t- kind of take it apart and look at all the different pieces of it. Like, you, oh, you, you know, you want it to be refreshing and you want it to be delicious and 
you know, <laughs> you want to tell this story and, and this about your product that's different. And I kind of take the whole kind of situation apart and then I kind of put it back together in the way I tell the story about it. Um, so it's kind of fun, you know, being this new visual engineering thing um, and how I'm kind of um, learning about what it is, honestly. <laughs> well, I have nothing but the most respect for that because, I, I mean, I also, my background, I started as a cinematographer myself and a photographer um, and then slowly worked my way to be a director. And I do more directing these days than anything else. Um, but I have done, I sent you some stuff. I don't know if you got a chance to look at it, but I've done some films where I lock myself in a basement with a mad scientist and we sort of do the same. We Not really the same type of thing that you're doing, but it's a little bit different. We do like science experiments and shoot stuff under microscopes and actually um, uh, create living uh, creatures that I've actually put in my films, which is super cool. And the thing that's really fun about that whole process is it's, it's like you get to hang out with mad scientists. And the first thing that I thought of when I looked at your stuff and I went and I looked at all the behind the scenes stuff that you do, it's like you have your own little mad scientist workshop and it's fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, I um, know. Yeah, I, I saw the stuff you said and, and mad, mad props to you. I think it was really cool. Um, I did one microscopic thing for uh, Burger King recently and a lot of respect for working at that scale on things with depth of field and you know just finding the thing that you're trying to look oh. at <laughs> oh yeah dude um, <laughs> and there's definitely a big difference between you know five times and ten times magnification and the problems that come with it um but no yeah and, and i think you're what you did with that is similar to like what i love doing which is shooting things practically i mean i think i think people are kind of over cgi and fake and and i think they're the new generation really is kind of you know, with, you know, people are starting to like shoot film again. And it's just, it's really interesting in that people are craving authenticity greatly in everything that they, they see and they do. And, you know, all still goes back to like reality TV and, you know, it kind of live yeah. videos and, and just people want to see real. And I think, you know, there's kind of this art of practical image making that's kind of making a comeback. Um, well, I, I hope it is because that's what I'm trying to do. Um, <laughs> and um, I think it's great. I think, you know, but I think we're kind of coming back to it in a way differently in that we have a whole new realm of technologies available to us like robots and AI and, you know, all sorts of kind of really cool new tools that we can kind of integrate into that old practical story image making history that, uh, you know, film and Hollywood and photography as have always had um so i think it's a really exciting time for practical image making in that what we could actually do in camera is much greater than what used to be you know possible yeah i completely agree and i i wonder if it's the same for you i find that when i do practical stuff i really enjoy uh finding the mistakes which is really interesting because with cg mistakes when you make a mistake in cg it looks like shit but when you make mistakes when you're shooting you you know you're panning the camera across the table and you see some amazing thing that you didn't think about or like the actual physics of what it, what you're filming present you with something that is so beautiful on its own and that you could never have conceived is it the same way for you yeah i, I think exactly it's the, it's the happy accidents that i think are lost in in cgi and, it, and i think more than anything i think so many CG artists, especially, you know, I, I deal a lot with food um, and mostly food and organic. So, so water is liquids, you know, 
And I think it's just the, the, it's all about those imperfections that make it real. And I think unless you did what I do or, you know, and, and are around food all day long and, and have shot it for years and years and years and years, being able to program that is really, really difficult because you don't know the nuances that of, of the, the really finite details that make a difference between something feeling fake and real. Um, and, you know, once again, I think at the end of the day, it would actually take longer to do most stuff in CG than and shooting practically, you know? Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. And I, I, there, there's something just so much more organic about, I mean, it's almost like directing actors. It's almost like being on set with actual people. And I, I've always loved that. And, and when creating special effects, especially if you don't really know completely what it is, it's just nice to have folks around you that are tangibly doing something and presenting you with stuff. Uh, it takes a lot of the stress off, I think, uh, you as the creator, which is nice. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. Um, it's definitely fun. Yeah, man. So let's uh, get into a bit. So to catch everybody up, you started uh, as you went to school for photography, correct? Is that how you started? Yep. Yep. Exactly. I, you know, I picked up a camera in high school uh, on the working in the high school year uh, newspaper, then the yearbook, and then I, after college, I got a job as a uh, portrait photographer at a high school um, like portrait studio, which was the, the worst job I've ever had in my life. But I did it for like three years while I was in, in college, kind of part-time. Because uh, I, I didn't really, you know, I, I knew photography in a very limited sense in that, you know, I, I grew up in Miami and I'm Cuban. And, you know, I thought, oh, well, you know, photographers do, you know, freaking kinkses and weddings and the, that's all you, and then the cool guys do model stuff. <laughs> um, and, and I've come a long way from that, but, um, but no, I mean, it, it was a chance for me to pick up a camera and just shoot and, and not know, you know, just like go out there blindly and just start pointing it at stuff and shooting and, you know, shooting horrible portraits and whatever proms and sports and a little bit of everything. And then, yeah, it was really when I, I transferred to go to RIT in, in Rochester, New York, um, which is a really great photo program that, um, I really like my eyes were, were really open to all the different things you could do um, in still life and, you know, everything you, you name it. Um, but no, I, and then, you know, I, I wish I went to film school and that I never actually got have a formal, you know, film background whatsoever. I took like one, like continuing ed class at like SVA in New York City, um, mm -hmm. shooting with like a Bolex 16 millimeter was fun. Mm -hmm. um, and that was like probably, you know, 10, 11 years ago. Um, and then I kind of jumped on the, the, the Canon 5D Mark II bandwagon when that came out, um, shooting video through DSLR and, and learning all the mistakes. Um, and, you know, I, just like any good filmmaker, I, I started out with a, a music video um, project. But actually, it's funny enough that I, I shot my first music video was for this girl who's now, you know, somewhat famous, Kaiza, who had like this big hit like a couple summers ago. Mm -hmm. but I actually shot a music video for early on. Um, and I learned a lot, you know, about all of it. And, um, you know, I always tell people either, either start with a music video or a documentary. Um, that's, that's how you learn filmmaking. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and, and, you know, having so many years of commercial photography experience, um, now, you know, the nuances of light and, and all the things that relate to shoot production and all sorts of stuff really translate over really easily. And I think there's a lot of, still photographers now in in the midst of that kind of transition. Um, I think it's really exciting. I think it's really scary for some of the old, you know, broadcast type video shooters and that, you know, 
they have all these new people entering their market. Um, but yeah. I, I, you know, I think having a photo background is a really great way to get into film in that you're, you're concentrating literally at like one frame at a time before you go into the whole, you know, multiple storytelling part of it, especially in, in tabletop stuff that I do. There's definitely a bunch of, of crossover between the two of them. I find that, um, I, I use, I utilize a lot of my skills, um, as a cinematographer, when I go into photography and, and photography is more, uh, still photography just seems to be more about the minutia. It's like, it's the details in that specific moment. Like how do you get the perfect, uh, the frame, the perfect moment instead of, uh, you know, what is the blocking? What is the, the energy that you're capturing with video? So th there's a little bit of a difference is at least that I find, but, um, especially with the stuff that you're doing with tabletop stuff, that is so incredibly fucking specific, you know, like you, you must. So how does a normal shoot work for you? Do you have like a client monitor and you have clients breathing down your neck and then you have stylists and then you have everybody sort of just watching everything that you do or do you do it on your own? And like, how does your, how does your sets work? No, we, we definitely always have clients around. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I've set up my studio space, which I'm actually, we're literally in the middle of expanding. We, we knocked down a wall to take on some additional space at the studio right now. So everything is a mess, but, um, but yeah, no, I have monitors all over the studio that people could watch what's going on. Um, from where they are, because the other thing, people have to get other work done while they're on shoots. I'm finding now too, because everything's yeah. so damn busy. Yeah. Um, but um, but no, I, I like to bring the client into the process, and and a lot of people are like, oh, I want wait to present like the finished perfect thing. Um, I like to kind of let them see the process of how I got there, and I'll go talk to them once I'm like, okay, I think this is good, and, and kind of have a little back and forth. Um, because I think it, it's easier that for them actually a lot of times to approve a shot. They see the other stuff I've tried and, and why it didn't work and, you know, mm. where I ended up. Or, or sometimes they're like, oh, where you were like a little while ago or it was like that. We, we love that. And it also makes it easier to, to kind of move on, too, because like, oh, OK, they, they, they know what they like now. OK, great. We'll we'll do that. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, we have, you know, stylists. You know, either prop stylists, food stylists, you know, model makers, whatever we need, um, we bring in job by job. Um, the new studio expansion now, we actually have a, a little in-house prop house with a prop stylist, um, which will be great for a lot of the food stuff I do. Um, then we have a huge kitchen and then, you know, kind of my little workshop where I, you know, I have welder and soldering irons and, you know, multi-testers and oscilloscopes and all sorts of fun things to, to tweak things. <laughs> um, but I, you know, honestly, I am finding though that less and less, I'm the guy actually building the stuff. I actually have a, a great, uh, rigor. This guy, Matt Huber, that's been working with me a lot. He's actually a photographer as well. He does a lot of cool work on his own, but he's also really great at, at rigging stuff and motion control stuff. So he's partnered with me on a lot of my bigger projects. Um, cause I just don't, I don't have the time if I'm directing, I, I don't have the time to be, you know, futzing, tinkering with this stuff and, and doing it. But I, I, definitely plan out and, and give up kind of like a blueprint of like, this is what I want to do. And then it's just somebody to, to help execute and, and sometimes elevate it too, by bringing their, their mind into the, the process. And I think, you know, I think the more minds that, that are on the same page, <laughs> the better, and it ends up being a better piece at the end of the day. That's the trick, right? I mean, that's ultimately the, the trick of, of any really successful photographer, or even a really great director is that you're supposed to bring, other folks in, make sure that they're giving their best, make sure that they feel like they're collaborating 100%. And then at the end of the day, with me, they save my ass like more often than not because uh, you're 
especially when you're dealing with clients, I find that a lot of the time it's client management. And so it's it's not a good look for me to be rigging or have, you know, my hands deep in a case pulling out cables when I should be over just sort of managing expectations and, and dealing with that kind of stuff too. So um, you're right about making sure that you're working with the right folks. And I really like the way that you uh, <clears throat> you make sure that the client is it's smart of you to make sure the client's the, the part of the process the whole time so that they that approval stuff is that's a smart technique. I like it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it goes both ways. There, you know, there'll be shoots where sometimes a producer will be like, yeah, can you just not put that up until it's ready? Because this particular client doesn't work well that way. And that's fine. You know, I think I think it's a matter of I think having a good producer lets you know that understands the client that, you know, what the best way to work with them is. Um, and you know, when we're doing still photos, we could even, I mean, we've had, you know, we have it set up with through, you know, capture one that, yeah. um, people would actually could view the shoot from wherever they are in Nashville or in Pennsylvania or, or whatever, um, which has been really great for some shoots where, you know, the, the, sometimes the person that makes the really final decisions can't make it on set and it's easier if they're kind of watching from far away. Nice, nice, nice. And so let's get into, I mean, one of the things that separates you from the pack really is, you know, your passion for electronics and, and like your, so explain to me your, your history. Did you start woodworking and welding? And then was that pre doing photography or was that a hobby that you were doing? And then how did those guys combine? Like, how did you get in? How did you make all that work? It all came together. Um, <laughs> yeah, basically, um, it was a hobby. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a, a learning robot and I, I always want to be learning new things and, and always, you know, researching new things, watching videos, you know, whatever. But I kind of went through a, a period where I found this awesome space in Brooklyn um, that no longer exists now, unfortunately, but it's kind of a continuing ed kind of art place where they would have classes in woodworking and welding and all this kind of stuff. So um, basically, I just started taking like pretty much constantly, I was always taking some sort of a class, maybe two two classes a week even. Um, and so I basically, the first one was just, you know, straight woodworking. Then I did MIG welding, then I did TIG welding, and then I did electronic circuits. And then I did a plastics and epoxies class and a patinas class. And I mean, I, I really, it was over years. I mean, that's the thing. It wasn't like, oh, okay, I'm just going to take a class and I'm done. Yeah, um, right. I, I've been, that's the thing. I've been basically building my skill set over, you know, you know, decades now, um, as far as, you know, my passion for, building and engineering. And, and that's like my, my family, like my dad's an engineer, my brother's a computer engineer. My grandfather was an engineer. He built like pacemaker parts like back in the day. And, you know, my uncle's an engineer. So like wow. in my oh, household, wow. when, when, you know, the dryer stopped working, um, they'd be like, Oh, which, which person is best equipped to fix this particular problem. But it wasn't a repairman. Um, <laughs> it was, <laughs> you know, sometimes they would call the grandfather in and he would bring his multi-tester and start taking things apart. And, um, machine a piece to replace it and, you know, whatever it had to be. Um, we're just kind of like a bit of a lost art now with, with, you know, I feel so many devices we buy now are just tossed in the dumpster and, and aren't fixed because you can't even get the pieces or you can't even, you know, do anything with it. Um, for sure, but, for sure. And I, like most people don't understand exactly how those devices work. I, I mean, I come from not, it's kind of a similar background. Like when I started, I was a, uh, when I was a younger kid, I used to work at a car shop, so I helped like refurbish cars, and I was building boats. And then I was a, a like a, an airplane mechanic apprentice for a while when I was in high school. So I did some of that stuff, and it always 
blows my mind how many folks just don't pay attention to how shit fucking works, <laughs> you know? And so when you're, when you have a device, like recently, like a couple nights ago, actually, I was sitting around the house and I watched a doc on lithium batteries and it never occurred to me how the fuck lithium batteries actually work. Um, and when you see how a battery is constructed and how a lithium battery is made and the basic elements that are used to do it, yes. uh, it's, it's fascinating, cool. dude. It's really cool. Little, little plates and, you know, the electricity flows and, you know, um, no, it's, it's really interesting. And, and that's the thing. The, the more you know, the more you could apply those things to, to. So that's the thing. Every every new thing I learn, I'm like, oh, OK, I'm going to apply that to something someday on some sort of a shoot idea. Um, you know, I have like this dream of like taking getting a degree in like fluid dynamics or something, you know, like. <laughs> it's like so many of the things that we're working in with air and with liquids and stuff like that would probably really come in handy. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. Having the time is, is the problem. Um, but you know, it, it's really fun. And, and, you know, I'm, I still feel like I'm at the opening chapter of, of what I've been doing with visual engineering. And it's really only been, you know, two or three years now, three years, I think, um, mm -hmm. that I really kind of really dove into that with, you know, when I did the burger drop, um, video that kind of was really like the proof of concept. Um, so I'm really excited about where, where I'll go next. And, and the, the big push is in the next year is, is more, ro more robots. <laughs> well, the, the robot stuff. Now this is fascinating stuff for, for some of the listeners that don't know this, they've integrated a lot of this robot technology into, uh, camera work now so that you can actually recreate the same camera moves and now you can recreate the same camera moves at like really fast speeds which really helps you when you're doing slow motion stuff and if you don't i mean the reason why you want to recreate the same camera move over and over again is it really helps for special effects like plating work um so like if you are gonna shoot a bunch of different passes and composite those things everything is dead spot on but then you're using it for a really interesting specific reason, right? So how did you get into doing the robot stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm more, I mean, forever and ever, yeah, people have been putting robots and cameras on robots. Um, I'm more interested in, in them as model movers and, and what basically moving everything that isn't the camera. I mean, there is definitely a time, you know, for the, the camera to be moving. But uh, my, my future direction of where I want to go with it is, is really, you know, I want one robot that'll move a light source. I want another robot that'll be doing my action, whether it's a pour or a splash or a drop or whatever it is that has to happen. Um, and then I could have another robot for the camera to be moving around on if it makes sense for the shot. Um, so the kind of the next chapter is that, especially in, 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 as you said, multiple passes is great for, you could do different lighting, you know, like light for the left side of the product, light for the right side of the product, and then put it together, or one for the background and one for the foreground. Um, but what I'm really, and the cool thing is if the more you automate, basically the more you could do that kind of stuff. Cause if you still have any sort of a practical element in it, like a liquid or pour, um, you can't, you're kind of limited to what you could do. Um, mm -hmm. hence the light moving on a robot to be able to get to the different spots as I need it to, um, or even two lights moving on a robot, you know, you know, um, what's, what's the character from Spider-Man Octa, um, Doctor uh, Do yeah, Doc Ock. <laughs> yeah, that's my ideal world. You know, like eight arms, <laughs> all doing different things, but you know, in perfect millimeter, millimeter accuracy timing. You know, 
<laughs> that sounds like a, that should be your new icon. You need to do a photo shoot and just have, have yourself as Doc Ock. That's perfect, man. <laughs> um, so it's it's. I know if you're listening to this to this podcast and you haven't looked, you have to go to his website and check this stuff out because you know it, it may sound like Greek the way that we're talking about this, but it's it's really simplistic at its core, which is essentially that he's trying to get his camera to where the action's happening when it happens, and he's trying to control as much of these raw elements as possible uh, so that he can recreate these elements. Am I correct at that sort of thing, or is it even more than that, Steve? Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it, it's it, I mean, the reality is actually what I'm trying to do is actually very simple. I mean, the actions themselves are not necessarily complex. Where it gets complex is synchronizing multiple actions together. And that's yeah. where you have to remove the human element or else you'll just never get it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but in an interesting other point to that is I found that the human element is also incredibly important when designing the action that you're doing, like, like a pour or like a, you know, like the way you, you know, whisk some whipped cream or something and how you would pull that out of the bowl like we recently did the thing where we were like, oh yeah, you would lift it up and do this. And then like, it just didn't feel right. And then we actually had a food size go in there and do it. And I'm like, that feels right. So then there's something to be said about learning from a person doing the action before you try to program that action. Um, same idea, I guess, if you're trying to do CG animation of something like, you know, motion capture and all that kind of stuff is really important in that, you know, trying to make these animations move without that data of that natural movement is really, really difficult. Well, yeah, it's the imperfections that give, that give character to things, you know, it's like, it's the, uh, we're so used to as humans to see things imperfectly. I find that with like a lot of HDR technology and a lot of like really high, high, high definition stuff. Uh, it's actually too fucking perfect. And it, I, I almost get pulled out of it. Like suspension of disbelief gets canceled for me because you know, if you're driving around, I say this all the time, if you're driving around in your car, my, like my windshield's fucking filthy. <laughs> and that's how I see most of the world, you know? Um, so uh, it's, the human element is completely needed uh, to, to add that little bit of humanity, I feel like, to whatever you're capturing, whatever whatever uh, you're, you're putting on screen. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, totally. And I think, you know, that authenticity... Um, I think brands like some are a little quicker to pick it up, but, um, I think, you know, a lot of brands are kind of picking up on the fact that, you know, actually sometimes, and especially in the work that I'm doing, like the behind the scenes is almost the ad or, or yeah. putting a, a, a super on the screen that says, Hey, this is real before they show you anything. Like, I don't know if you saw that, like Gatorade, uh, life water running man thing. If you, if you Google yes. G active Gatorade thing, that thing is pretty awesome that, um, Psyop did, um, but no, I, I think you know the 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 brands that that realize that people want real stuff and put it and actually show it, and because I think so many people are used to the old model where you you polish this thing so much that like before you release it, then you you release it in the world like look how perfect it is, but people are like. Uh, you know, I guess it's cool. I've seen it a thousand <laughs> times, you know, like, but how did you do that? That's cool. You know? So, yeah. um, I mean, I think that's really exciting for me in, in that I'm doing cool stuff and, and, you know, brands that are trying to tell those stories are coming out to me kind of directly, which is also really interesting compared to the traditional ad agency model. Um, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> Mm. 
Sorry to interrupt, guys. I just wanted to take a moment to plug our new sponsor, Audible.com. Now, why am I going with Audible now? Well, it's simple. I use it. I love it. I mean, it's the only way I can read. Actually, it's the only way I can listen to books these days without falling asleep. I don't know if you guys suffer from the same thing, but if I try to start reading a book at night, I usually fall asleep after about 10 pages if I'm lucky. And then I forget everything that I read. So it's been really difficult for me to get through a book to actually finish a book. Um, so I started to look into um, books on tape and the whole books on tape thing, which I mean, my only reference to that was the stuff that I used to listen to as a kid, which was pretty cheesy. But the production on these things has come such a long way. I mean, it's almost like listening to a radio play of the book. Um, they have like really good VO uh, actors they do music stuff. It's it's really cool, man. And it's it's a I love listening to it as well when I'm on the airplane. Like if I have to fly from the East Coast uh, out to California, that's a pretty long flight. I can bang out a bunch of chapters uh, with that book. You know, throw on those noise canceling headphones, and then you're deep into it. Um, so I just got a book this week that I am super excited to start uh, listening to. It's Stephen King's Doctor Sleep. Have you guys heard about this yet? This is the sequel to The Shining. Like He wrote the sequel to The Shining. And the only way I even heard about it was that I had seen... I think I saw something online about the fact that they were going to do a movie based on it. Um, which was really fucking crazy. And I don't know if you guys read the actual book for The Shining. Um, but there was a lot of controversy with Stephen King. And the book ended up being... Or the movie ended up being a lot different than the book was. Um, so some characters survive... Um, and apparently this book picks up, uh, with Danny at eight years old. It's, it's after, it's soon after the events that happened at the Overlook. Um, and him and his mother have moved to Miami, which is cool. It's like a whole new setting going from the snow to Miami. Um, and apparently some of the ghosts from the Overlook have followed him there. Um, so I can't wait to get started on this book, guys. And I'm going to talk about it on the show because it's cool. Why not? Because if I'm excited about it and I think it's cool, I'll tell you guys to read it. Um, so, like I said, I'm pumped to have Audible as a sponsor because I love using it. Um, and Audible is actually offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com backslash in love with the process uh, and browse through their amazing selection of audio programs. All you got to do is download a title and start listening to it. It's that easy. So go to audible.com backslash in love with the process. Now, here's the best part, guys. Um, our show gets loot for every person that signs up for a free trial, regardless of whether or not you decide to stick around for 30 days. So if you love the show and you want to support us, but you don't have the extra cash, I feel you, um, then do me a favor. Go sign up for that 30-day trial and uh, decide after a month if it's worth sticking with, you know, and they're going to give you a book with it so you can actually start the whole process and if you want man grab that Stephen King book so that we can talk about it together you know we can uh, you guys more than welcome to write me emails or questions um, I guess it's kind of like having a little book club which would be cool I need a hobby dudes so hook me up so like I said go to audible.com backslash in love with the process now let's go back to being really nerdy with Steve Let me go back to collaboration in general, because there's a lot of younger photographers that'll listen to the show and they're just looking for these little pieces 
these little nuggets that are really hard to get when you're in class and you're, you're not actually on the location. Um, so how much is, when you're working with food, how much of it is your design as far as what the food does and how much of it is what the, like the food stylist puts together? Like, does the food stylist come in with an idea and you go, oh, that's fucking rad, I'll do that? Or do you hire a, a food stylist going, this is specifically what I want and this is how I need you to pull it off, you know? Um, I, I'd say it's a, it's, it really is a 50-50 collaboration. I think it, it's in my best interest to hire people and let them do what they do really well. Um, if you, you know, once again, working with really great people, um, I've had the pleasure to work with some really amazing food stylists and some not so amazing food stylists um, <laughs> in my days. And, you know, I'll, I'll have more words to say to the one that when it's not quite right. Um, and um, no, I, I mean, and, and the same thing goes for props. And the same thing goes with pretty much everything is if you, if you find the right people, yes, you still direct them and there, there will be times where you butt heads and, and my view of something is different than what they, they did. And sometimes they'll be like, Oh, uh, okay. I guess if that's what you want, that cool. Sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll stand up for their position and they'll say, Hey Steve, I know this is what you say you want, but I, honestly, I think it doesn't make sense for this or that or the other thing. And, and I definitely respect people that, you know, speak their mind on, you know, their opinions and, and, I, I embrace that more than just somebody that'll just say yes to whatever I say um, in that, you know, that it's adding a different viewpoint and it's no longer just my viewpoint. Um, and often as we kind of already covered is that it's definitely a, usually a stronger, more um, approachable viewpoint at the end of the day. Yeah. That, that's, that's the best advice I feel like you can give anybody that's, that's trying it. Cause I think a common misconception is that if you're a director, if you're a photographer, you're supposed to have all the answers and you're supposed to be able to pull it all off by yourself. Um, and sure there are things that you can, you can do, but I, for me, I, I hit a, I hit a ceiling at that point when I was trying to do years ago when I was trying to do everything on my own. And it wasn't until I sort of opened up to other folks and I sort of allowed other creative people to come in that, I then push past that point. So I think it's a really important thing to understand collaboration and, and to try to be a decent social creature because what we do is a social business. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's all a it's all a conversation, you know, whether it's through images with sound or without sound or moving or still. I mean, we're having conversations with people around the world, um, you know, it's telling a story of some sort and... Um, no, yeah, it's very social and, and it, it should feel like a conversation. So at this point with your, so you've been doing this for a while now. So at this point with your career, what is your favorite part about it? Like what is the thing that, that makes you the most happy about the entire process of shooting something? Like um, When it works. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I'm literally almost on a daily basis now, like riding the line of like, this would go really well or this would go really bad. Um, and, and it's, it is a dangerous line. Obviously if I'm just repeating the thing I've done before, it's easy. I, I know it works. And, and, you know, especially since so many things are now mechanical and computer based, it's like, you know, you hit play again and you're, you know, your iPhone's going to play another song, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I, I think the challenge for me is always literally trying to reach, like approach every shoot, pushing the limits of every shot I can. And with that comes with this line of nervousness of like, well, well, it sounds cool. Will it work? Um, well, they like it. Um, and, but you know, with that, you know, comes the ups and downs. It means that 
yeah, you're going to do some cool stuff. You might fail. And, and that's thing, you, you could always fall back on what you know works. Um, but I, I, I think for me, the most exciting part of all of it is, is knowing that on a shoot, I, I kind of pushed into a, a, a new place, whether it be by pushing a creative person a little further into like, oh, there's a little more conceptual or there's a little more abstract or just literally pushing the physical limits of um, what has been done before in that, oh, we moved, you know, three lights at the same time and a camera and dropped 10 things and, you know, whatever it is. Um, and, and, and I think one really good piece of advice for people I would have to say is, is kiss, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> it's really easy to get tied up in the, the technical stuff and, and needing to overcomplicate things. Because a, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, why did you do that? You know, you could have just dropped it. I'm like, uh, like if, if it's the shoot that it makes sense for me to drop it, trust me, I'm the first person just to grab that thing and drop it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and, and I think that's the challenge is in other people that do similar work to what I'm doing is a lot of them are way more technical based people than I am even. And they get really caught up in the, just like, Oh no, we let's make it perfect. I got to do this. And let me go read 3d print something. And then I'll do this. And I put it in this other thing. And now, Oh wait, in my basement, I got this other, you know, like, no, 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 no. Like we need to get this done now. So I'm the first person to say, Hey, um, you know, how can we do this simply? I don't need it to work for the next 10 years. I need it to work for like the next 30 seconds. Um, so that we can get the shot offset. <laughs> um, well, yeah, for sure, man. And there's something to be said about that. I, I, there's a lot of folks that are so concerned about having things be so incredibly perfect and having things be constructed so perfectly that they almost have this anxiety about releasing things and actually finishing projects. Right. Which That's a I huge problem. Yeah, man. And I think it's important that you s sort of understand that it's okay to be learning in the court of public opinion. It's okay to be learning on stage. You know, um, and you don't have to have everything 100% perfect. You're not going to be over. I mean, who cares if you're overly judged on this sort of thing? Because if you're if you're if you're making it aware that you're progressing, and that every time that you come back out at it, it's even better. And if you come out initially with something that is so fucking perfect, how the fuck do you follow it up? So you know, like I think it's really good advice for folks to understand that. You really have to understand what it is that you're doing, why it is you're doing it, and how quickly you need to have it done. Right, and you know, and, you know, it goes to even early parts of what I, you know, of learning photography. It's like there was there is a time to be in automatic mode that works just fine on a camera. You know, some people get so tied up and like, oh, I need to control the f-stop, and I got, you know, what f-stop should I be at? And you know, and there's certain shots that that makes a huge difference, um, but there's other times where it's just like. Yeah, I think you should absolutely understand how to use the camera manual mode and why you're doing what you're doing. But I think, you know, get past the technical thing and really concentrate, stop thinking about that and concentrate on what the image is that you're trying to tell and how to make that image the best, not just on the technical part of how you're telling that image. And, you know, I actually wrote this blog post a few years ago for Petapixel that, you know, is a little bit of that is like the, the different stages of being an artist and, and a technical artist in, in a way in that like first you have to get over the technical part so you could really concentrate on what's most important and and mm -hmm. you know you see past the camera at what the camera is capturing um and i think it, it it's an important part of the process like you have to put in your you know as they say ten thousand hours to learn and master something um so you have to get to the point where you the the camera stuff is automatic like when you know i'm lighting something now i'm not like really 
concentrating on like the specifics of it, but I'm like just about the making sure that end product I'm getting is exactly what I want. Um, and how, and same, as you said, every shoot you're learning, every shoot you're getting better. Um, every shoot you're a little, little smarter. And, you know, I, I joke that I wish I gave clients of mine from like 10 years ago, like a free pass for a redo. Cause you know, I'm like, <laughs> ah, you know, 10 years from now, what I'm doing for you is going to be, I could be able to do it so much better, <laughs> you know, um, but they're perfectly happy with it 10 years ago. So it's just funny. Cause you know, I, I always look at my, ne my next shoot is usually my best shoot, you know? Well, yeah. And with clients too, I often tell clients and I, I wish that it was this case and it isn't these days, but I wish that there was some sort of loyalty where it's like, Hey, you know what? Stay in for the long haul, you know, and go through this long process. Cause if we learn together, if we develop things together, um, a, we're going to get quicker and faster with how we work, but B the work's just going to get better and more refined. Um, and I don't know if you're finding this lately, but I feel like with the oversaturation that is in the marketplace right now, the clients are kind of dominating and controlling the work that we get. And, um, they're just sort of shopping. It seems like there's a lot more just go to Walmart, walk down the aisle and pick out the guy that shoots hamburgers that fly through the air and the guy that does, uh, red sneakers. You know, there, there's, <laughs> there's like a whole fucking aisle with people that shoot all sorts of different color sneakers and they just sort of go through and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this guy does red sneakers. So I want this dude. Do you yeah. feel that way with, with, with the industry right now? Uh, well, the industry is definitely in an interesting place right now. And, and a lot of it is the, to the fact that, you know, there used to be this, incredible technical hurdle of just exposing a piece of film correctly, you know, back, you know, when I started photography and, and that already took a bunch of people out of the running of who wanted to be photographers or cinematographers. Uh, but yeah. now the technology level that, that hurdle is, I mean, as you said, somebody that's just out of high school or even like freaking 12 year old, you know, like could yeah. do some amazing stuff, which I, you know, I look at it as like a positive thing is like, okay, that, you know, that, that simple part is out of the way. So now let's concentrate on making things even more incredible and, and our abilities as artists um, will really stand out more once, you know, you get past this technical, okay level type work that, you know, and that's it. There, there's like e-commerce photography. I mean, there's a need for a ton of it. Um, you know, every company has a website. They need to photograph their products, whether it be fashion or food or what, you know, supermarkets or, electronic stores or whatever it is. And yeah, you don't need, you know, somebody of, of my level to shoot simple products like that on white, you know, cause once again, it's not that hard now and, and the software and, and things in the world are going to make it even easier with Lightroom and with yeah. and with everything. So I think, you know, the true, the true artists are actually going to emerge, you know, in the next, you know, 10, next 10, 20 years in that, you know, it's not just the guy that was able to get past technological hurdles to make a good image but there's somebody that actually has a real story to tell. And I think that there's something really cool about that. And I think, you know, that, that, you know, once the ash kind of settles a little bit of this whole transition and, and things changing and social media and kind of everything that is kind of up in the air right now, I think it's, there's going to be some really, really cool work that comes from that. That's a good way to look at it, man. That's a very good and positive way to look at it. And I, right? Yeah, you could also look at it really fucking negatively. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I try not to look at it uh, negatively myself, and I, I, I try to 
you know, I'm, I'm an open book. So like if, if anybody, you know, that's part of the reason behind this podcast. Like if anybody comes over to me and asks me how I do something, I tell them how I do something. I, I never really uh, covet techniques for something that I've already done because I feel like I've already done it. And, you know, my new techniques are going to be something different. My new story is going to be something different. And that really doesn't, that, it really isn't what bothers me. And I feel like there is such a plethora of really talented and created or creative people out there right now. Uh, which is wonderful. And I don't mind losing a job to someone that is better fucking suited. You know what I mean? Like, it, oh, it, absolutely. It, yeah, no, I respect, you know, people that are doing awesome work. Absolutely. Fuck yeah, man. And if, if you lose that gig to somebody because, you know, like I, you, you're not going to get me, uh, you know, on a fucking, uh, you know, polar cap shooting polar bears. That's not what I do, right. you know? So I wouldn't even bid for that job, but I feel like there's, there's like a devaluing of what's happening in our industry to a certain extent where the prices are coming down so low that it's actually becoming really difficult um, to, to afford specific things for a lot of folks like, you know, production insurance and like be able to have a studio, be able to actually work with, with other folks, be able to actually employ like a food stylist and stuff like that. Like, it seems like you've been doing, I've been very successful with this sort of stuff. Do you do most of your own marketing or are you repped? Like how does, how do you end up getting most of your work? And you don't have to answer the question if you don't want to, but I ask. Oh, no, no. Yeah. I'm happy to talk about it. Well, I, just like you, I'm, I'm very much an open book and, you know, I'm all about, you know, collaboration and stuff. But um, as far as, yeah, I, I mean, I think getting work comes like, it's actually insane. Like so much work is just coming from Instagram now. It's really kind of crazy like, you know, national TV spots and, you know, stuff like that, which is kind of mind blowing to me still that that actually is, is like how that's happening. Um, wow. and, and same thing through LinkedIn, even and stuff like that. And, and what I find is happening with the internet and, you know, what, what's again, all this, all of us getting a little closer together in, in arms reach of each other, um, no matter where we are, is that also people like VPs of marketing, like creative directors and all these people, actually could find me directly. Like they don't need to go through the rep. They don't need to go through an agent. They don't need to go, you know, to my website or whatever. It's just like, they see an image, boom. They're like, that's cool. Let me reach out to this guy right now. And it's funny. I've had these insane encounters in New York where people are like, Hey, love your work. It's amazing. And I'm like, come over. Okay, great. And like in like two hours later, like we're having a conversation, you know, it's kind of incredible (laughs) that they're, you know, before it was, you know, me and I, maybe I was part of a production company and they had a rep and then the rep went to the agencies and the agency people talked to the, you know, producers talked to the creatives and the creatives talked to the clients. And I mean, you had this huge, you know, process to just let me talk to somebody else that's making decisions on the client side. And that's just being thrown out the door and that, you know, you know they could come to me directly. And I'm, in many ways, I'm basically creating my own production company now and that, you know, we, you know, everything but post-production for video where, you know, we're handling from the creative concepting from, and actually, sorry, I keep going in circles here a little bit, but I'm becoming a production company, but I feel production companies are becoming the new ad agency as well. So in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm, as a creative, I'm, I'm way more powerful than now than I ever was before in that, you know, people, brands are coming to me directly like, you know, Hershey's or, you know, um, you know, uh, what's the other one? Campbell's Soup and, you know, Pepsi. And like, these are huge brands that, you know, aren't putting their work through the agencies like they were before. And, and you know, we're, right now I'm working on this, you know, top secret 
project for a huge brand that would be a full global redesign and there's no agency in sight. It's really interesting. And I think ad agencies are, are kind of struggling with what they what they bring to the game. Not that they, they, they don't, they absolutely do in, in certain instances. Um, and there's certain jobs where I'm like, thank God there's an agency that's in charge of this. For uh, sure. For but sure. I think that as far as how I get work, it's really like, boom, like people are just reaching out directly and, and i have people now like all over the world because once again it's it's a global world we live in you know that are like oh you know we would love for you to do work in kuwait and in poland and russia and moscow and spain and you know like like these and, and that's the funny thing is is they they're like you know we have this studio in barcelona and we have a robot or we have a studio in norway or you know whatever we have a phantom and a robot and the, like the technical stuff is the easy stuff anybody could buy stuff i mean not anybody but anybody with a friend with money um can right. buy a bunch right. of stuff <laughs> right um, right of course but what they're all finding is that unless you have the people that really know how to use the tools to their their maximum abilities um you're not you know you're you're really it's just sitting there collecting dust um, and that's really interesting thing that I didn't realize until recently is that, you know, so much of what I do isn't just that I know the technical it's, a, it's I know how to tell stories with that technical stuff. Um, yep. and yep. there's definitely a value to that. And it, it, at the same time, it's, it's not something I could have done, you know, 20 years ago. And like, I needed the t- last 20 years of experience to get to where I'm at now. Um, and, and I think. A lot of older, you know, cinematographers and directors and photographers are kind of a little bitter at the world and, and the market right now. And they're like, oh, I'm not, I'm under value. They want to cut my budgets and, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, are you doing, are you, are you doing enough to make yourself different? Are you doing enough to innovate? Are you, are you truly, are you getting comfortable or are you, you know, out there every day innovating? You know, me and a friend of ours have this saying that's just innovate or die. I mean, and, and that's, more true now than ever i feel in, in our industry like you could you could be the top guy that shot every ad or whatever but next year you could have no work um like it, it's really interesting how um if you're not constantly kind of changing and adapting to the future and, and the changing of the market and embracing it not kind of pushing it off um how it just you could be irrelevant really quickly oh yeah man and it's good advice it's really good advice and i you know i struggle with that myself all the time where the marketplace is, it can be such a brutal thing, you know, because you go from being very busy and you're, you're shooting the shit out of stuff and then you cannot get comfortable. There isn't a moment where you can get comfortable because the next thing you know, you know, you won't get phone calls a couple months from now, you know, and, and I, th- I feel like there's always someone hot coming right at your heels, right? There's, a, there's always someone hot, a swipe away on the phone. So you definitely have to be pushing, pushing, pushing. And it's a, it's a, it's an easy thing to forget sometimes, I think, because as a creative, as a creator, you're, you're trying to maintain your creativity. You're trying to push to, to innovate as much as you possibly can. And then you're also dealing with your real life shit too, which is, (laughs) which is, which is an interesting fucking thing, man. Like, so I, I'm obsessed with my fucking work. So I'll get lost and lost in what I, what it is I do. And and sometimes I have to come up for air and sometimes you come up for air for different reasons. Like there may be some sort of health thing that you got to deal with. There may be some like a death in the family. There may be something that, that pulls you out of it. Um, and you, as a freelancer, you can't get comfortable. I find. Oh yeah, no, that's death (laughs) right there. Yeah. You can never get comfortable. Even if you take a vacation, and you take some time off that it's, it's such a, 
it's such a hard thing to do because you know you're off the fucking grid. And I always find that for me, when I'm setting up jobs, I have to be planting seeds for shit that's going to happen like five, six months from now. And so most of the time I'm, I'm communicating with folks or I'm, I'm setting up the groundwork for something that may grow in the future. And if I'm not, if I'm taking like a month off, then I'm affected for like two, three months after that. I don't know. Is it the same way for you? Yeah, very similar. You know, I mean, I, I was just on uh, what, what we called a workcation last week. Because um, <laughs> actually, the other interesting thing is that um, my wife is a is a photo retoucher. She you know works out of my studio. She works for other people, not just for me. Uh, oh, cool! Handles all our still photo retouching, which is an amazing um, thing in so many ways. But we also you know kind of sit five feet away from each other twenty four hours a day, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> definitely a test to the relationship. Um, and, and, and as you say, like real life and getting buried in your work and, you know, the biggest thing that, you know, definitely changed the way I worked was, you know, I had a kid four years ago and, you know, like I, I want to try to go home at 5 PM if I can, or, you know, six o'clock if I, if I can and, and see my, my kid and my family and, and be a present father. And that, that, and that's a challenge to somebody that otherwise I could work 24 hours a day. I mean, I could literally, you know, actually I, I, did one of those this week actually. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's times where you, I could, I could plug in and and work like a, a you know, forever and, and like realize like, holy shit, it's 6am already. And I'm still not even tired, you know, when you're really yeah. kind of in the zone on something. Um, but you know, I have to almost like schedule that time now It'd be like, okay, you know, whatever, this is happening, this is coming up. I'm going to do that. And then you know, the day after I'm going to spend some more time with the family and trying to make up for that time. And, you know, and yeah, you have your crazy busy sessions where, you know, I'll have a month where I shoot, you know, 22 days in a month, which is crazy. Um, yeah. And then I might have a month where I don't shoot at all. So, you know, I think it's what I'm trying to look, figure out in life is also how do you balance exactly that and, you know, make, take advantage of that quiet time to a spend it with some, a little bit of time with friends and family. Um, and a lot of that time actually, hopping right back into innovating and, and creating the next thing for yourself that you can start sharing. And as you say, planting seeds uh, for the jobs that will come, you know, later. Um, and same thing, shoot, you know, I'll shoot stuff specifically for Instagram on, on days that I'm not shooting um, just to keep cool stuff kind of out there. And, and it, it's the same thing. It's me learning and me testing something new and be like, Oh, I haven't really played with, you know, fire. Let me just do this like quick little fire test and I'll just throw it up on Instagram and, it's cool. And, you know, it's really interesting in that, and, you know, part of the, the challenge to that is having the, the ability to have, you know, a high end camera around, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, like where I bought, I bought a red last year and then this year I bought a phantom finally, cause I was renting it so much that it, it just made sense. Um, so, you know, there's something nice to be about having a phantom around to do a quick little fun shot, but, um, yeah, you know, but, but it, and that's the thing, a lot of people get overwhelmed that they don't have the gear, and yeah. I think you just got to start somewhere, you know, whatever you could start with that you could shoot with and you can make some sort of video with like a little Sony or a little, you know, Canon or whatever it is, like get that. And cause I, I haven't, I didn't, you know, I didn't buy a phantom from the day one. I, it took a long time um, to kind of build up to the fact that I have the clients that want it now so I could rent it. And now it's worth buying. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and honestly with me, I've, I've learned that, you know, learning the technical stuff is important and, and figuring out how to use those cameras is important. But 
it's a lot simpler to do these days. I mean, you can literally just load up a YouTube video and, and sort of get walked through how a lot of technology works. Um, for me, with I don't need a heavy-duty piece of equipment to sort of figure out what my voice is. At the end of the day, I, I fall back on that little trick that I came up with, with nothing most of the time. I, I find that uh, when I'm dealing, when I'm crunching with a client, with a client and I'm freaking out about, you know, the technology's not working and this is not happening, I always just go back to sort of my... My origins where I'm like, shut off all the lights, let's grab a flashlight, let's do this. I could make this look really fucking cool, knowing that I was able to do that with nothing, you know, without a crew, without this set, without all this sort of stuff. Like, at its core, uh, I can still make great images because of that time that I spent doing it without all the toys. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that's another funny thing about um, is, is the lack of that thing that you think you need is actually what creates a reason yes. to innovate. Um, and I find that's happened like crazy in the work I'm doing. Uh, cause I, you know, my studio, I don't have, you know, 400 amps of three phase power. I have a hundred amps that powers the whole studio and the air conditioners, the ovens and, and everything's, <laughs> you know, when you're doing work with, you know, phantom for people who don't know, you, you need a whole lot of light. And, you know, traditionally people use, you know, 10 K tungstens or 20,000 watt tungstens. Um, yeah. and those use a whole lot of power. And, I didn't have that option and, and plus with food and things I do, it, it would melt everything. But um, so I've been building all my own lights out of LEDs because they're, they're so much more um, energy efficient and they're really great and super bright. Um, so almost in most of the shoots I'm doing now, it's all custom lights. I'm actually not using um, almost any like store-bought lights. Like I've, I've literally gotten to the point where I built this power lighting controller that will power it all. Um, you know, on this recent shoot, we, we were using 10,000 watts of LED power. Which oh, my is God. Equal That's to amazing. Like 80,000 watts of tungsten. Um, and the cool thing is it was, it was basically like my, my power supply that I use is um, it basically runs on batteries, like lithium batteries, actually. Really, really, <laughs> big, really, really big ones. So it's crazy. I mean, so literally I'm not using I'm using, you know, maybe one household circuit worth of power to run that much light. Um and mostly because of the need. If I had the access to whatever I needed, I wouldn't have to have done that. But the end result is actually better in so many ways because I had to. Um, oh, for, think, sure, for sure, think, dude. You know, nothing's a, a kick in the pants to anybody than, you know, needing to survive or needing to make more money to, you know, pay for bills. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people go the wrong direction on that. They're like, oh, I'll just dump down my dream and go work at Starbucks because I don't want to work that hard. Um, but I think the ones that truly are successful are the ones that had a need to survive somehow and push themselves to make it work. You know, like, you know, basically, you know, a year ago from now, and we, where I really kind of, you know, really put a lot of money into these lightings and, and all the things I've been kind of doing, you know, we were at a point where, you know, I was not in a great financial place. Like I was putting all this money out, you know, transitioning clients because, you know, the new work hadn't really started rolling in yet. And, you know, we definitely had a, a oh shit moment of like, do I have to sell my apartment and move to Jersey or whatever? <laughs> um, and now we're like 180 degrees from that. So I, I think, you know, that I think if you know what the end result's going to be, you're not really pushing your limits enough. You know, you have to really truly take some steps blindly sometimes and, and hope that there's ground underneath them. Um, if you, you know, once again, if you want to, really pushed the top level of stuff. I mean, plenty of people are happy with a regular job and just kind of chilling um, through life. That is definitely not me. 
Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there's something to be said about having to to believe that what you're doing is the right thing. Obviously, not in a vacuum. Um, but you know, I have a good friend of mine. He's like Steve, like because I talked to him last year when things weren't great, and then now, and he's like, if I could have invested all my money in Steve Draw stock, I would have put all my money in last year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but you know it, it, there's, there's going to be hard times and easy times for for anybody you know oh yeah just get ready for it i mean it's you, you ride the wave man you're up at a at a at a peak point as well and it'll always come back down and then you try to just sort of hunker in and then ride it because you know eventually it's gonna it'll come back up again as long as you stay focused as long as you keep pushing then uh it'll find its way back out um so it it's Part of the purpose of this podcast, man, is that a lot of people don't talk about that stuff. I think a lot of people get caught up in tech tech shit. A lot of people get caught up in unboxing videos and what can I buy? And if I buy this fucking thing, then that <laughs> means I'm a photographer and I'm a filmmaker. And it's like, no, making the decision to go freelance and live as a freelancer is a really difficult decision to make. And you really have to think hard about what it is that you're giving up and what it is that you're earning and what you're getting out of it. And it is one of the best decisions I ever made uh, like 18 years ago when I decided to do it. It's one of the best decisions I ever did because I have experienced such incredible life adventures, uh, a plethora of them that when you, when you start talking about them and you look back on it, you're like, Jesus Christ, like I'm such a lucky fucking dude to, to have been through that stuff, but you're also giving up so much, man. And you, there's no such thing as stability. There's no such thing as reliability. And you just sort of have to, I relate it to being a squirrel. You have to go out there, you get a bunch of nuts, you stack them away, and then you get ready. Because <laughs> right. it's going to get slow, man. And um, But it, I really appreciate, you know, we're, we're kicking it like the hour mark, and I should probably wrap it up. But I really appreciate talking to you about all this stuff, man. It's really cool to talk to uh, another creative, especially someone that is uh, uh, being successful at this point and, and really finding a voice that people are fascinated with. I mean, the amount of fucking traffic that I've seen just on your Instagram posts for this stuff, um, you're, you're definitely barking up a tree that, that people are fascinated by. Um, and it's really cool to be able to chat with you, man. And, you know, hopefully someday we'll be able to work on something together. Um, but uh, thanks for being on the show, dude. Is there anything uh, that you want to plug? Is there anything that you uh, want to say that you didn't say? Um, uh, first of all, this has been awesome. It's been a great, I think you, you brought up so many great questions. And I think... Um, you obviously have a, a great understanding of the good, the bad, the, the ugly, the pretty, you know, and, and the, that's the reality of life. That life is not CGI, you know, it's not <laughs> perfect reality. It's not a Hollywood movie, you know, and, and I think, you know, that's something that, you know, nobody really says in photo school or film school. And, you know, they're like, oh, you'll be a starving artist, but you'll be, you'll still be happy. You know? And it's like, well, real life is, is complicated. Um, but um, but no, I mean, I think you know the only thing I would say is, you know, my Instagram is really the best place to see what I do. You know, at Steve Gerald. Um, you know, my website um, will be you know done redone soon. But uh, you know, and and what I do love is you know I've had a lot of people reach out to me on Instagram with with questions and and once again if I, if, I think if they're I'll usually always respond in, in some way or another and, and I'm happy to respond to people but you know I, i'm always excited when it's somebody that actually has a really exciting question that i might have something i might not have thought about um so no I, I i mean i love the collaboration um and i think that you know yeah i like to collaborate with people and robots too but um, <laughs> <laughs> um 
but no, I, I think, you know, I, I thank you for, for doing, taking the time to do this. I think it's really important to um, kind of help the next generation. You know, people help me absolutely along the way and teaching me about the business, teaching me about, you know, so many different things. Um, and, you know, people that work for me, I, I kind of take the same approach. It's like, I, you know, I want you to get to know my clients and show you your work. And, and at the end of the day, we all get hired for completely different reasons. And, and I think there's nothing worse than the person that's so worried that, you know, somebody is going to take their job away from them or, or whatever. And it's like, well, if you're doing a really good job, then you have nothing to worry about. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, you know, to leave advice, one last piece of advice to people is, is just, you know, just keep innovating, keep learning and start today, like start right now. Like, don't think about it. Don't keep contemplating what you really want to do. If you really want to do something, you know, start it at this moment, because I think all the world's best ideas just were thought about and never started. Um, so that would be my, my closing advice. Thanks for listening. I hope some of you photographers out there came away with something inspiring, maybe some new tips that will keep you going. Um, but uh, Steve is a super cool guy, and I'm glad that he spent the time on the show with us. And uh, speaking of which, uh, do me a favor and uh, go follow us on Instagram at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P O D. I mean, you'll uh, if you go there, you'll be able to see a bunch of stuff that I'm going to post from Steve. You'll be able to see a bunch of stuff that I post that I find inspiring. I do some sort of behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, and it's a great place to interact. Uh, and also, um, you can uh, find a bunch of really great links in the bio on In Love With The Process. So go check that out. Uh, you can also subscribe to the show by clicking the link below. Uh, make sure that you subscribe either on iTunes. Um, I think you can do it on SoundCloud as well. Um, I, I'm trying to be on as many of those uh, podcast subscription services as possible. Um, putting these episodes out more frequently. I'm trying to get to the point where I'm putting them out on a day every week, but it's tough. Um, so uh, make sure you subscribe so you know exactly when it comes out. Uh, and stick around for the next. I've already recorded the next episode, and it's a really fucking cool one. Uh, I actually sit down with my harshest critic and my biggest supporter my mother that's right if you guys have uh purchased my old grindhouse dvds you will remember that she did a momentary on that so she's no stranger to sitting down and giving me shit for the stuff i do um it's a really great episode guys uh so make sure that you subscribe below so you'll know when it comes out and uh, that's it thanks for listening mm-hmm.